0: Welcome along to another Know My Faith Monday podcast, and I'm with Phil and Matt. Phil is from Onikawa Bible Church in Napier. Matt from Riverbend Bible Church
1: uh, here in Hastings, which is, well, Havelock, is it Hastings or Havelock North? It's right on the border. I think it's Hastings is the the, the city, and then Havelock's a suburb of Hastings. So.
0: Riverbend Church here in Hawke's Bay. Yeah, there we go. That's safe. Uh, and this is where we're broadcasting and filming this at the moment. And really interesting, because Matt, you were just telling me that uh, we talked to Ray Comfort a couple of weeks ago. Right. You got saved. On the street under under Ray's ministry? Like under personally Ray, Ray? The, no, oh, the Ray? No, Ray wasn't. It was
1: in Melbourne, Australia, yep. and the guys there connected. Ray would know the men that were open air preaching, and I walked by and they were open air preaching. I got saved that, that night, yeah. So very thankful to Well, to take Ray. us
0: back a bit further than that. Did you have any Christian upbringing?
1: No Christian upbringing at all. Um, my family, none of them are believers uh, at present, and um, just Life took me on a journey. I grew up surfing and I was going through uh, some challenging times in life. And I walked through Melbourne CBD and there were the the, the men uh, preaching and, and the team out there, men and women, um, handing out gospel tracts. And so I met my wife uh, there as well. She was part of that outreach. That night? Well, three weeks later, she returned from overseas. And so I always say I met my saviour and my sweetheart uh, on that corner there in Melbourne. And so it was, yeah, we're very thankful for Ray and, and the, the ministry there. So
0: what connected with... Matt's heart, spirit, mind in the message that they gave?
1: Yeah, um, five years prior down, because I was on a historical corner in Melbourne, the corner of Burke and Swanston Street, five years prior on the corner of Flinders and um, Swanston Street, I met a slick evangelist who ran me through a sinner's prayer and ushered me into heaven. And um, But there, but what the contrast between that and the ministry of Ray Comfort and, and those guys from Where the Master was that they really emphasised the law. I had not known sin but by the law. And so they preached the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the free offer of uh, forgiveness through Christ. And yeah. so, yeah, that was um, God's timing. Mm. Um, yeah, that's one life. of my
0: main messages at the moment from Isaiah, where when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. So he saw the holiness of God. And this is like Isaiah the prophet right it 's not yeah. like Bill Smith <laughs> it's, this is Isaiah the prophet yeah. and he sees God in his holiness and he goes i 'm dead All right it, it was god 's holiness that showed him yeah. his sinfulness, and that 's what Ray uses. He uses the holiness of God using the law and says, "You look at the law, you go yeah, i 'm a sinner and he gets people to do that and we showed that on the, on the podcast with Ray, part of his street outreach in um, it was somewhere in Europe at the time. All right. You know, he says by your own admission, you're a liar and you're a thief and yep. an adulterer at heart. Yeah. You know, if not more. Yeah. Are you a good person? No, I'm not a good person. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, it's good. I had an opportunity. We went to a seminary in California. Yeah. And so at the time got to go out on the street with some of the way of the master guys in California, there in San Diego, Santa Monica, rather. yeah And so that was quite special for me to be involved in that. So. Praise God for the ministry of Ray. I've Excellent. always said there's a special place in glory for Ray Comfort. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: there's a place in glory for Louis Palau um,
1: because yeah. he just passed away
0: mm. um, overnight for us here in no. New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. sad. Same. same message, you know, you're a sinner, God's a saviour. Yeah. Mm. Um, not that modern gospel, which we might get onto later. Phil, what's your story?
2: Yeah, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family. My yep. dad were faithful believers, and so that was a, a joy. So I've been to church since day one as a baby. Um, when did I get saved? That's a different question. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly don't know the exact day. I know lots of times when I felt like I prayed the sinner's prayer I was I guilt, felt guilty of my sin. Um, but yeah, I, during my teenage years, I had some interesting times. My mum and dad actually managed an orphanage there. It's okay. called the Martin Children's Home. For my whole teenage or life, high school years, I was living with like 25, 30 other kids, which was kind of challenging trying to sort my life out. Yeah. Um, But yeah, faithfully, my mum and dad took me along to church. And to be honest, it was really a a message on the holiness of God that you just talked about before that really (laughs) ripped at my heart when I was maybe a late teenager. Um, I heard a preacher who had come over from the States and was running a conference up in Rotorua. And uh, he preached a series on the attributes of God, and it was life-changing. And I certainly knew at that point that I was saved.
0: One of the things with... Paul Washer, Luis Palau, Ray Comfort, etc. is um, we talked about the holiness of God, sinfulness of man. Mm. Uh, That's the gospel. Mm. You know, I did one of my short videos. uh, Had a chap in training one time, one of my other jobs as a support worker, and I was just chatting with a couple of the other staff who weren't Christians and just listening to what they believe and stuff. And and this young fella, he says, he said, well, it would be it'd be uh, wrong for me to not uh, give you the gospel at this point, you know, and what he gave them wasn't the gospel. Mm. You know, it, it confused them more. Mm. Um, but that's one of the, I think, one of the problems. We'll ask you first because he's done a lot of talking so far. Um, what is the gospel? The Gospel, yeah, it's a great question. The gospel is God is perfect,
2: God is holy, God is righteous, God is a judge. He is our creator, and we are His cre- creation. And we are not perfect, we're imperfect, we're sinful, we can't have a relationship with God. The Bible calls us
0: enemies of God. Because of that sin,
2: yeah, it's absolutely. the enmity so, there. Yeah. Okay. So we can't have that relationship with Him because of sin, and so that's bad news. And yeah. the, the gospel, the wider gospel says that because of that bad news we're on a journey separated from God forever, for eternity. The good news of that is that there is someone who came to give us the opportunity to have a relationship with God, and that is Jesus Christ, who is fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, a righteous life, the kind of life that we couldn't live, and he died a perfect death, we could say, on yeah. the cross, where God, the Father, his Father, punished him for our sin, and for the sins of all of those who would ever repent and believe in him and follow him. And, And for those who believe that message and put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that he is their substitute and stood in their place as their redeemer, as their friend, as their Lord, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that he did it for us and that Jesus rose from the dead, we will be saved. I mean, that's the gospel in a a,
0: a nutshell. So what about this modern gospel that, uh, you know, if your life's rubbish at the moment, come to Jesus and he'll make it better?
2: Yeah, that's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a that's a little bit of a, a shallow message. Um, y- you know, it's true that God, Jesus can make our life better, but that's not the reason to come racing to him. It's, you know, it's an understanding of who God is and who we are and in, in,
0: in, in relation to yeah. God. I love that meme that's around, I don't know if you've seen it, you know, I, I didn't say it'd be fun, I said it'd be worth it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you that's know. good.
0: Yeah. Um, the, the early days. I know one of the one of the questions that that we kind of prepped you with a little bit was about Stephen's gospel, mm. and as we were chatting before, Matt, you said uh, Stephen didn't even get to the gospel, yeah. with, with with his big speech.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, Acts chapter 7, obviously Stephen didn't have the the, the full Bible that we possess today. Uh, he had the Old Testament. He was um, serving as a wonderful apologist there in Acts 7. He's speaking to Jews, yeah. and so he's drawing from the Old Testament. It's just full of references to the Old Testament. I said before that they, they kind of did stone him before he got to the good news, but... Um, he, they did also witness him uh, behold the, 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 glory, of the glory of Christ and Christ, call yeah. out on Jesus' yeah. name. And so, um, yeah, it's a unique time in the book of Acts. Um, we observe some very unique things there. and, and so
0: It's amazing because we, we, we always hark back to the early church. you know, mm-hmm. We want to be like the early church and this and that. You go, okay, so the early church didn't have any of the letters of Paul explaining salvation by grace through faith. Right. They only had the Tanakh. And yet, Peter stands up and gives a sermon. 3,000 come to the Lord. Next time, 5,000 come to the Lord, all, all without any of the letters of Paul or the book of Revelation. Yeah. Um, and you go, yeah, I think we're missing something somewhere mm-hmm. in our modern church. But one of the things, and again, we were talking about it before, I think it was before you came along, because Matt got here early. do oh. you realize that? <laughs> Five um, <in. laughs> years. Is, is the, the early church came under persecution. Mm. Uh, particularly from the religious leaders of the day. Mm. And that to me, that strengthened their faith so mm. that they go, no, this is this is what I believe in. I will not be swayed right. By anyone else, right? This is what I believe in, and because of that, the, the church grew. Yeah.
2: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, the early church had the influence of Christ, obviously,
2: in yeah. his life and his ministry. Obviously well, hopefully, and so, we do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, he trained those uh, original leaders of the early church. You know, with the gospel, and it's the same gospel he preached that they preached. So yeah, yeah, they had that advantage too. Yeah. Even though they didn't have the New Testament, they had
0: the, the message of Christ. So, yeah, yeah they became the New Testament. Yeah. Oh, oh, there's a catchphrase. Um, Today, the church is very, very far from the the church, the church. It's a long way from the book of Acts.
1: Mm. Why? Mm. Yeah, I mean, you look at the beginning of the book of Acts, you see the birth of the church. By the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, you see the Lord's Day solidified when the church gathers, and so there's this ongoing maturing. Um, Sometimes we can romanticize about the early church um, uh, incorrectly, Uh, There's things that were very unique to its setting. Um, But we always want to be looking for the old paths, don't we, Jeremiah? You know, we don't want to buy into the... Search for the ancient paths. Yeah, 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 buy into the the modern idea. You know, our our former pastor in in the States, he would make a remark that uh, as a church, we don't want the world to come in, we want heaven to come down. Mm. And what... Is meant by that is not we don't want unbelievers to come inside the church. We do all, all are welcome, yeah. but we don't want the influence of the world um, permeating the church. You, you do want people to come in and experience something so foreign. You know, it was Martin Lloyd Jones who said that only when the church is so very different to the world will she then attract the world. Yeah. And so, what you win them by is what you've got to keep them by. And if you win them by bright lights and motivational speeches and all this kind of thing, well, you've got to keep them with that. But if you're just faithful to be um, apostolic, as it were, yeah. um, properly defined, um, holding to the apostolic doctrine passed on from Christ to yeah. the apostles yeah. all the way through faithful, then you will draw in people because that's God's means of uh, using his instruments here on earth to, to yeah. call people the to the himself. The church
2: is the pillar and support of the truth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. to embrace that principle is is in some ways kind of, I don't want to say it's foreign, but it seems like it's not the priority of a lot of churches today, you know, Mm -hmm. that there's not the emphasis on proclaiming truth and doctrine and sound doctrine because that's what brings health to the church. And like Matt said sometimes, you know, if there's too many bells and whistles, you know, that you don't grow a healthy Church.
0: Yeah, I mean, you yeah. look at one of the one of the most uh, famous sermons preached: the uh, "Sinners of the hands of a wrathful God." Yeah, right, right? Right, yeah. the, the guys leaning—he he makes Derek Prince sound interesting. You know, <laughs> he's leaning over the pulpit, reading the sermon mm. in a flat monotone voice, mm. and he's got uh, he's got Plymouth Brethren elders hanging onto the literal <laughs> pillars of the church, <laughs> yeah. scared that God's going to open up the ground and swallow them into hell. That, that, yeah. That's not bright lights and whistles. Yeah, that's yeah. fundamental truth mm. to make mature Christians go, do the Isaiah thing. Oh, I think I've got it wrong. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Well, we need a bigger vision of who God is, you know, and, and mm. how do we get that? Today we get it from understanding his word and truth and proclaiming and teaching Isaiah 6 and um, Luke 5 and other passages that yeah. highlight the holiness of God. I mean, we, we need to understand who God is and we talk a lot about it as well. We need to see Christ, right? I mean, that's yeah. the purpose of the, the church and uh, that's why we emphasise preaching at both of our churches, yep. because mm-hmm. as you unfold the Gospels, as you unfold truth, you know, you see more and more of God and more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our heartbeat, you know, mm-hmm. for to me to live is what? Christ mm-hmm. and to die is game, Paul told us. So yeah. that's our heartbeat, you know, and that's what drives us as a ministry. And I know it drives Matt here as well.
0: So you, you used to be here at Riverbend? I did, many years ago. I was yeah. think
2: It's almost 10 years since okay. um, we went up to Napier to Onikawa Bible Church. And so I was serving here as an elder and as a youth pastor. Yeah. And a part of my role was a youth pastor, part of it was teaching in, in a Bible school. And here, you were here at the time? No, no, I've been in New Zealand seven years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, no, we didn't sit under the same roof doing ministry together, but it feels like we do ministry together, even though we're in two different churches.
1: But we, uh, you were in seminary together? We graduated from the same seminary, but okay, not, at the, same not okay. at the same time. It might either. not
2: be apparent, you know, on camera, but Matt and I actually are different ages, right? We look the same <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, we, we have trained in the same school. I, I graduated in 1998 okay. from yep. seminary, yeah. probably...
1: 2013.
0: Okay, oh, that's a, yeah, a little bit of a difference. Yeah, yeah, so you're But and let I me just like say, yes, let yes. me just say,
1: it is good for a young pastor to have a, a, a more experienced pastor. And Phil and I definitely um, get together a lot. I'm, I'm blessed by this man. Yep. And uh, our church churches, uh, while well, far from perfect, uh, and we don't have a wholesale on how to do things, but we we're just um, trying to do what the Lord would call us to do. Yeah.
0: yeah. That maturity thing. I've just finished uh, proof editing a book. A friend of mine in Israel has uh, written a book on maturity, and he wrote it in Hebrew and then translated it into English, mm-hmm. and sent me a copy. And I said, "I said that sucks. Can I fix that for you?" <laughs> so I've just, you know, and it's all about the maturity factor, which uh, is another thing that is missing in our modern church. Mm-hmm. Is is the fathers? There, where are the fathers? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Why aren't the fathers there? Mm. Yeah.
2: Well they're there but they're few and far between, maybe is, is yeah. maybe the issue. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh it seems like you we do miss mature older men who are great role models and examples and, and we have them, but yeah, mm. some of them um I don't know the answer to that question. Um we've you know, I've been influenced by some wonderful older men in my life, so I'm I'm thankful yeah. for that. Um but um it's certainly Something that we need to be working on. And we, we, you know, discipleship. Older men training younger men. Older women training, training younger women. Because you, you've of got the that in, the in,
0: is it in John, I think, uh, First John, yeah. You know, what write to your fathers? I write to you, young men. I write to your, right, write yeah, to your children. Yeah, John, so there's, right, the, there's yeah. that three-stage mm-hmm. thing yeah. which Israel goes through in his, in his book. Right. Um, but it seems that there's a lot of children in the church, mm-hmm. and and I've got to say, having pastored for ten years. Mm. Um, I wrote to someone the other day, I said one of the first things I discovered was how immature a lot of mature Christians are.
1: Mm.
0: Not just spiritually, mm. but actually even as people. Yeah. They're still at that children's stage. Right. Yeah,
1: and it's yeah. for a, a lack of knowledge, isn't it? You know, yeah. Paul, Paul said in, in Romans chapter 10, I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. Obviously he's talking about his kinsman Israel, um, but not in accordance with knowledge. And I think you know, there's a wonderful paradigm to view the Christian life by mind affections will. And as we increase in our knowledge of God, it ignites our affections for God because we know who he is. We, we love yeah, him for yeah. who, who he is. And then our affections drive our will and then our will determines our actions. And so a lack of knowledge, um, it's almost like in our day that there's been such a dichotomy between, you know, doctrine is bad, but mm-hmm. Jesus is good. Don't yeah. give me doctrine, just give me Jesus, but yeah. Jesus is doctrine. doctrine. <laughs> doctrine. And
0: um, I had a pastor one time who went from being a pastor to being a, a travelling teacher evangelist sort of thing, and he said, "See, the problem with the assemblies of God is they got theology. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, you're saying that as
1: a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah.
2: That's true. I mean, I just did a message the other day. You know, um, the church needs to have a high view of God, a high view of Scripture, a high view of sound doctrine, and a high view of holiness because that's what a church needs to grow mature. And uh, Mm. sound doctrine is is a key part of Mm. that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's been a lack of that in days gone by.
0: It's prophesied. It's prophesied. Thessalonians, Paul says um, that God will send deception. Because they love not the truth. Mm. And Jesus says in John 17, you know, sanctify them with your word, your word is truth. We know that the church today, this Laodicean church that we're in, we've thrown doctrine and theology out. We don't have, we, the great, you know, don't have a great love of the scriptures. Mm. And we come across people like uh, Paul Washer, Alistair Begg, Mm -hmm. and and yourselves, hopefully me, who have a love of the scriptures and go, no, 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 this is the truth. Mm.
1: This, mm. this is my foundation. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, and pastors prioritizing uh, the pulpit. You know, it's been well said that many people want to fill the building, uh, but not the pulpit. And so, digging deep, um, you know, it's also been well said that the height of our worship directly correlates to the depth of our knowledge of God. Yep. And so if we're plumbing the depths of scripture for our people during the week and then giving them a meal, mm-hmm. um, you know, a good steak as it were, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they can run the race with endurance, but maybe too many cheeseburgers, um, <laughs> motivational speeches uh-huh. being... You know, and you know, One, of, to,
2: one yeah. of our backgrounds obviously is we've been trained in expository preaching, yeah. which yeah. You know, it's, it's not just taking a verse of the Bible and just going anywhere and everywhere with it and just telling a whole lot of stories, it's, it's actually taking the text explaining the text, what does it mean? Because it's the text is the Word of God, and the meaning of the Word of God is what we need. You know? So it's, it's, it's helping people understand what does this mean and how does it apply to my
0: life, you know? yeah.
2: expositing the, the
0: message. That's one of the tenets of Know My Faith is, is what do the Scriptures say? What, are the, what do the original readers understand them mm. to yeah. mean? Yeah, totally. But how does that work for me? as a 21st century Kiwi mm-hmm. yeah, a, a, and Gentile, because the scriptures were written by Jews, mostly to Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah.
2: But, you know, you touched on that point. You, what did the author mean by what he said when he first wrote it? We've got to get that right yeah. so that we mm-hmm. get his message right, then we get the principle from that and transfer it to the 21st century. So
0: I mean, from my memory, I mean, I didn't do long you know, degrees in Bible college. Or I did a year in a Bible college. But systematic theology, from memory, the first step in th- systematic theology is what did the original readers understand the writer to mean? Mm-hmm. The second step was what did the church fathers historically understand the scripture to mean? And I look at that and I go, that's been thrown out today in the 21st century. Those first two steps of systematic theology.
1: Being have, replaced with what does it mean to me? How do you yeah. feel about this? Yeah, how do you man? feel about yeah. it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Authorial intent. Yeah. We don't have the, um, the right, as it were, to, to yeah. mess with that. Mm. Um, God's word is clear and uh, we just need to be faithful to be workmen you know yeah. rightly handling the word of truth so that we don't uh, be ashamed you, we, we have every reason to be ashamed if we if we tinker with it yeah you know? and it's,
2: it's hard work I mean you know to, to understand the text is it takes hours to mm. do that and yeah, I understand not, not every person who preaches the Bible has hours and hours and hours to study mm. the Bible. But, but the pastors should. They should, yeah. And I think everyone who's employed full-time as a pastor should spend a lot of time studying yeah. the scripture because that's what feeds the sheep. That's what makes the church healthy. That's what produces you, men who are older you, you and You give fresh
0: so water, so fresh yeah. water. There's, yeah. there's, the, um, there's the picture that somebody gave. It was like there's a hillside coming down here and there's a dam mm-hmm. on the hillside. And, and, and the dam is, you're on top of that and there's fresh water coming down. As long as the water's coming down, you can feed that. Right. To yeah. To that, but if if the water stops, you're getting down into mucky, yeah. dirty water. Yeah. Um, David Garrett, I don't know, years ago, I think it was with the Good News 80 tour, so you probably <laughs> weren't even around then. I know the just, been <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I was ready. <laughs> David Garrett from Scripture and Song, and he said, um, as a worship leader, he said, if you use your music to worship the Lord during your private time then on Sunday morning you will lead worship. He says if you don't use your music to worship the Lord in your private time on Sunday morning you will lead music. Mm. You know and it's the same when we're teaching when we're preaching if we if, if it's not coming out of my personal relationship. And again that goes back to uh, what we were saying at the end of the, the sermon on the mount when when Jesus says, you know, I will turn to them and I'll say I never knew you.
2: Mm.
0: We didn't you know, you might have had a hidden knowledge of me. right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that one of the things that factors in here, I think, is that the church today often believes that the worship ends, and then the sermon starts. Then, mm-hmm. and we've equated music with worship, but sitting under the word of God, both the preacher and the congregant, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's an act of worship of. Premacy really because we're hearing from God and uh, I think that's been thrown to the wayside a little bit
2: It was Martin Luther who said the highest form of worship is the listening to the Word of God Hmm. So he challenges what it means to worship, you know, and it's true And and like you say the worship begins for a preacher when he's studying as well I mean when we prepare a sermon We're preparing it to please God, but it's got to touch our heart first before it can even get into the pew, you know. So, it better touch our heart, otherwise, it's just intellectual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, that's good. So, no, we can talk about preaching all that. That's that's our (laughs) heart, you know, and expository preaching. And, um, you know, we have the privilege, both of us, of preaching most Sundays in our churches. And um, so, yeah, we would normally just unfold a book of the Bible. You know, we've been through some gospels and the Philippian
0: book, of Daniel some yeah. book, of some exciting times. So I, I, w- when I traveled around, uh, which I do now, but, but in, in the old days when I was working for Rima, so my, my main message was get off your backside and do what God's called you to do. And uh, so when I came to pastor the church, I thought, you can't preach that every Sunday. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay, let me preach through a book. So four and a half years later, I finished Matthew. I said to the church, I, I was, I'm, actually, I'm actually extending this more because I don't want to get to Matthew 24.
1: Because <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's got their own ideas,
0: um, but, but but I mean we'll, we'll move on to that. Because what I did in the end, I, I said, okay, let's open up Matthew twenty four. We read the whole chapter, mm. and I said, all right, close your Bible. I said, I said, nobody, no one knows the hour of the day. I acknowledge that. But if I told you that the Lord had specifically said to me, Jesus is coming at four o'clock this afternoon, what's your task right now? Mm. Go and tell people about the Lord. So if I told you that Jesus isn't coming for another 200 years, what's your task right now? Mm-hmm. Go and t- tell people about the Lord. Right. It doesn't matter. In some ways, it doesn't matter what your eschatology is, what your theology of the end times is. Go and do what you're told to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we don't. Be faithful. Be faithful. Yeah. We're, we're all sitting on our backsides going, hey, <laughs> rapture. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 2021, what's he like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's the blessing of
2: eschatology. And I know there can be different streams of thought on eschatology, but two of the key things are, and is that eschatology should drive us to live a pure life because we know Christ is coming and we'll see him face to face and we don't want to be caught out. But it reminds us that God's in control. And I think every Christian needs to understand that message, that God's sovereign, God's in control, he's got the future sorted. I mean, my, my take on the book of Revelation, which is another tough one to preach, do I have? Have you? No. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Challenge. Jesus wins. You know we need that. No, message. really. Gosh. Yeah, but you know it's just affirming <laughs> that, and, and um, you know those are what motivate us to to live. You know um, theology, eschatology.
0: Is, is a motivation to live a Christian life? I, I don't know, because I mean, I think what happens in our modern church with, with the modern understanding of salvation is if I believe in Jesus. Now, I was brought up in a Christian family, same as you. And when people go, when did you become a Christian? My answer is which time? Mm. Yeah. Right? Somebody asked me uh, a year or so ago, and they said, you know, in all those times you're doing you know, all the other stuff, mm. were you still a Christian? And I go, do you mean, did I still believe that Jesus died for my sins? I never, ever stopped believing that, Mm. right? But was I a Christian? Was I a follower of Jesus? No, I was not many times in my life. Mm. So was believing just enough? And I think what our problem in the church today is, is that we've taught in the Western church, we've taught the people that just believe all you need to do is believe Jesus died for your sins, and it's fine. So you preach revelation, Jesus wins in the end. I can, yep, fine. Okay, I'll just sit here and wait. All right, mm. yeah, yeah. I, I don't care. My neighbour might die and go to hell, but that's not my problem because mm. I still go to
1: heaven. Mm. Mm. The sovereignty of God is a comfort, and I think that's what you were trying to say there, Phil, okay. is that God's in control. Everything's according to his plan. And so for the believer, that's a comfort. Um, yeah, it, it is an interesting discussion um, that I imagine that was a challenging time in your life when, when you would reflect on which time.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> challenging time is plural. You believe. Yeah, you believed, yeah. yeah, when you believed, yeah, when you believed, know, and you then you lived a certain way. Am I here? assurance is a wonderful um, doctrine to study. Yeah. Uh, many people lack assurance, and so um, God's kind to give us uh, assurance. Which is amazing when, when you think about it but, and, it's,
0: and it's also there in the modern church. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians don't have that assurance, yeah. even though they might give head knowledge to it. They mm-hmm. don't have that full assurance.
1: Yeah.
2: That and but, yeah. and but belief is a big part of it, but you, we also understand you know, the demons believe. Mm. They say. Yeah. So, I mean, I sometimes preach and say, hey, you know what? The demons have got a better systematic theology than some Christians. Mm. But so, so the actual understanding, the, the the doctrine, doesn't necessarily save you. It is. It's more than that. It has to be a heart change. It has to be a regeneration of your yeah. heart. You know, God has to change our hearts so that we can uh, not only believe but also then live it out. And I think that's and what that's you're the key. Say, yeah, we know. we
1: mentioned it at the beginning. The easy believism, like a yeah. like a cheap gospel, right. that leads to false conversion. Right. You know, people just. Live like they want to live. You mentioned Matthew seven. You know, it was the chief mark of those who were the many who Jesus said, "Apart yep. from me, I never knew you." Was he said that you lived as though I never gave you? You were workers of iniquity.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so we've got to be. But so- hang
0: on, you hang on. We we, we uh, cast out demons in your name. You yeah. did miracles. How uh, can yeah. you call me a worker of iniquity? Yeah. yeah, incredible, really. I think the scariest thing with that is that. Yeah. You know, to put it in context, to put it in context, so Jesus says in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Not everybody that calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who do the will of my Father. On that day, many will say to me, but we cast out demons in your name, we did mighty miracles in your name, and I will say to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Right Now these are not Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists. Yes. These are people who fully believe in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. they fully believe, believe yeah. in their in their heart, in their mind, in everything. Mm-hmm. These are the shout to the Lord people, right? Mm-hmm. Arguing with Jesus to his face, mm-hmm. I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. and Jesus goes, "No." <clears throat> all right, mm.
2: and you know, Jesus th- would have said the same thing to the Pharisees too. You know, they thought they were saved. Yeah. They were religious people. They did all the religious stuff. If you wanted to see somebody following a religious life, it was the Pharisees. You know, and What did Jesus say to them? He condemned them. the the trouble was for them was was they looked okay on the outside, but on the inside they were like dead men's bones, you know. Jesus ripped them for that because true Christianity is is, is a heart change first. Um, The heart is regenerated. God regenerates the heart, and out of that flows the works, you
0: know, because faith without works is dead,
2: right? So um, there has to be an element of works. And that's
0: the uh, and that's the Jewish understanding of faith mm. is. and when you read Hebrews uh, when knowing that you go, oh actually what he's talking about in Hebrews is this person had faith and did this, this person had faith mm-hmm. and did this, yeah, this mm-hmm. person had faith and did this. Mm-hmm. The outflowing right. comes from the genuine faith mm-hmm. and I can tell you you've got faith because I see mm,
1: right. your faith outworked. Yeah and, yeah and Jesus taught very clearly in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus that regeneration precedes faith, that you must be born again. And so being born again, being born of the Spirit, is not something that you do. It's something that's done to you. Yeah. And so God's sovereign regeneration precedes faith. Having our eyes open, we then look to Jesus. We see the the, the disaster of our own sin and the beauty of the Savior, and we run to Him. Yeah. Mm. All glory to God.
0: Yeah. God. That's the whole point is the glory glory
2: goes to yeah, God. And even going back to Matthew 7, you know, because a lot of people say, well, I know God, but that's not the issue. right? <laughs> and as Paul Washer, I think, you know? says often, he says, it's not that you know God, it's that God knows you. Mm. You know, Jesus said, I never knew you. Well, hmm, you know, we want to make sure that, that God knows us. And how do we do that? Well, boy, that's that's. When our heart has to be changed,
0: I get asked a lot um, because of the the many you know the, the almost two decades in Christian radio and working with Promise Keepers and people. go, Oh, do you know so and so? And I go, you know, um, do I know Ray, Ray Comfort? Right? Yes. Right? Ray Comfort and I know each other. If you asked Ray Comfort, do you know Rob Holding? He would say yes. Right? Do I know so and so? I know who he is mm-hmm. and he knows who I am. Mm-hmm. But do I know him? no mm. and i think that's the problem with a lot of modern christians is do you know jesus Does, do you i know who he is right mm. but we don't have that relationship and and to me that relationship comes out of the doing yeah you, know, mm. you when you do um um what was his name started the salvation army it's gone. William booth. booth. william yeah, booth yeah, yeah. that great vision of his um where he's that the masses are out there in the sea dying and some of them make it onto the rock and they're safe and they're too busy asking the great being help keep us safe and all the time he's out there Mm. in the storm saying, come and be with me. If you wanna be with me, I'm out there in the middle of the storm, I'm being persecuted. Well, I mean, Jesus has physically, he's been persecuted but in the body still being persecuted. You come and join me in my work and then you'll have that relationship with me. But yeah. we're too busy to polishing pews.
1: You mentioned <laughs> Paul Washer before, and um, you know, I remember he made a statement a while ago and it struck me, and I had to think about it for a little while, but he said he blames uh, the state of the church solely and squarely on the shoulders of the pastors. And, and I thought long and hard about that, and yeah. I thought, okay, Let's think through. Initially you can think, okay, okay. what about this and what about that? But if you think about it, the pastor is, and the pastors are, those who are called, ordained by God, to open up, to stand behind the sacred desk, open up the Holy Word and preach it. And when they're not doing that and when they're functioning as entrepreneurs and social media gurus and uh, running around all over the place and not sitting down and studying, uh, it's no surprise that we have the shallowness and many people who will say, uh, "Lord, Lord," and Jesus will say to them, "Depart from me."
0: This is why people like Paul Washer and Andrew Strom in the early days don't get invited back to a lot of churches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's not because it's not because the people don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more like the pastor doesn't want to hear it.
1: Yeah, and an important thing to understand is to keep it balanced. We, as pastors, we don't want to be scolding our people. We don't want to be. Preaching uh, harsh to them—they're the she- They're the precious, precious sheep, sheep. Yep. and the flock. And so we want to be um, tending to them. You know, it was Spurgeon who said, "In every uh, preach to broken hearts, because in every pew you're sure to find some." Yeah. And so there's a there's a dual duality in the ministry. Preach the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, feed my sheep. Yeah.
2: And so yeah. And like one of the catchphrases of Wanaka Bible Church is that is that we want to be like the home of grace and truth. You know. Yep. And I think obviously Jesus modeled that and talked about that. So we want to be faithful to preach and to give sound doctrine, but we want to do it graciously as yeah. well. And I think mm-hmm. that's um, that's a challenge at times, you know, um, because as Matt said, you know, there are people in the pew that just that need comfort, they need grace. Um, it's it's easy sometimes to preach, you know, and be bold with that. And we want to be bold, but we don't want to go over the top with I that either. I think the
0: thing that, that comes across, and, and I will, I'll use those two names again, Paul Washer, and I don't know if you know Andrew Strom, he's a kiwi name. Kiwi holiness preacher, but... When you listen to their messages, there are tears in their messages, mm-hmm. right? They're, it's it's a call it a hellfire and brimstone sermon, mm-hmm. but there are tears from yeah. the preacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's not standing there. Oh, no, 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 he's weeping. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. he's weeping because I've seen the holiness of God, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and I'm, tr- I'm I'm trying to explain that to you because unless you see that, you are lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it definitely needs to be a compassion. I mean, I think I need to think about that a bit more and, and work through that. But uh, yeah, you, you know, the truth obviously needs to filter through your own heart and that hopefully brings a softness and kind of sharp, <laughs> You know, take some of those sharp edges off so yeah. that, um, so that when we preach, yeah, it needs to be real. Not that you want it to be emotional in a bad sense, but you know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with a tear from a preacher. Mm.
0: Do we have hope for the future? I look at the Bible. I look at uh, us, this and lukewarm church that we're in, and, and to me... Uh, and there's still discussion on this, you know, one day we'll find out. But to me, those seven churches in the book of Revelation, apart from being seven real churches, Mm -hmm. uh, I think they are, um, I was saying to Matt before, I think they're indicative of any church Mm -hmm. in the world at the moment and probably of any Christian Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. But they're also of the ages of the church, and we're in that Laodicean church. There's a lot of uh, prophets going around at the moment saying, you know, there's going to be this worldwide revival, and I go, yeah, we had it actually. That's the Philadelphian church, the previous one back in the late 1700s through to the early 20th century. The next thing after Laodicea is end game, Thanos comes, God come. You know, it's, you, you can't go back. And so I look and I go, can we, can we build up the church? Is there still that? You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh,
0: you know, church, wake up. And you go, well, hang on. If I'm reading my prophecy correctly, the church can't wake up.
1: Yeah, it's 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 tricky to know, isn't it? In the sense that, you know, there would be centuries ago, people who held to similar eschatology that we do, futuristic premillennialism, and they would see the events that were taking place, and then the Lord still tarried, and you know He may still tarry now, and yeah. um, so it's, it's, it's tricky, tricky exactly to know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I preach through those seven um, letters in Revelation as well, and, and I agree. I think all of those can be true of any one particular period of church history, and even today. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you see you see them all over the place, those churches uh, today. Um, there's persecuted churches, there's Laodicea churches, you know, the, the lukewarm churches, they're all mm-hmm. over the place. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's snippets of all of those that we see around Um but, you know, we're thankful that Jesus said, I'm, I will build my church, you know, mm, and yeah. uh, and we're thankful for that. And and uh, we just want to be faithful pastors who can be um, faithful servants of Jesus, you know, doing what he's called us to do. And that's what we've talked about already, feeding the sheep, preaching the word. And hopefully that will strengthen the church. I mean, we'd and, but pray for a revival. I think like Martin, yeah. Martin Or jones was, it talked about praying for revivals. And I don't think we do that enough. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be a revival. I mean, God can do anything, anytime, time, yeah. right? And, mm. uh you know the great revival you mentioned earlier with Jonathan Edwards. I mean, God's done some incredible things in the past. Why can't He do it now? He can. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah, yeah. let's pray yeah. for that.
1: Yeah. We can be optimistic premillennialists. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I, I look at it. I mean, I, I personally, my personal theology or eschatology is that the 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 church is going to get more lukewarm, uh, more loud uh, to say, and the, the world is going to get more and more evil. The percentage of Christians is going to get to the point where God goes, I've had enough. I can't stomach this anymore. But you know. Five million Kiwis being all saved, that's not gonna hurt another seven billion. (laughs) Huge nationwide revival in New Zealand. That's not gonna hurt my end times plans at all. Um, Now I was going somewhere with that. Um, It was something that I think you mentioned, but you both, uh, I think, know this pastor in Canada that's just been arrested over opening up his church. against James Coates. James Coates, yeah. Yeah. So the, the government said you can't go to church And he goes, well, God says we can, so we opened up his church and and got arrested. I'll ask you first. What's what's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, actually. The the, the
0: disobeying the government part.
2: Oh, um, well, that's a good question because I think many Christians disobey the government all the time. and I'm not saying necessarily about the COVID thing, but you know what? The government says we're not allowed to spank our children. The Bible says we should, so do we do that? Um, So...
0: Government yeah, says drive at fifty kilometres
2: per hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what? So, um, you know, there's a lot of times I think when kind of civil dis- disobedience comes into play, and there's even laws on the table now in New Zealand that are going to have to force Christians to make some decisions. You know, the whole, um, you know, conversion therapy and all those kind of things, and when hate speech laws come in. So yeah, I mean, there's been throughout church history lots of times when Christians have disobeyed government. Daniel was a good example of that, maybe in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the issue with James Coates, I mean, I've, I've, I listened to the sermon that he preached right before he was arrested. Um, I understand his view. I understand what he believes about Romans 13. You know, he, was, he, he himself would say he's being faithful to submit to the government, but the government is not being faithful to their task and they're overstepping their God-given role. And so when that happens, there, there's no conscience. It doesn't violate his conscience to go against what they've said and what the what the rules of Canada are, which are a bit different, I okay, think, than yeah. around the rest of the world. So it's a it's a tricky one. I understand that, and um, but you know we and I love James's um, view that you know we're we're serving Christ. Christ is the head of the church. He determines what we do, not the premier or whatever they call him in Canada. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so.
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think what's important to remember is that. For the last two centuries, uh, the West, the governments, have been built upon Judeo-Christian values. Mm -hmm. The Western governments. The Western governments. And um, the rule of law is drawn from the Bible. And so for at least two centuries now, that's been the case. And so that has meant that there's been a lot of earned capital and trust between the government and the Christian. Mm. And so when the Christian then, for the first time in the West, really now begins to see those governments turn against Christian faith and practice and doctrine, it makes things very uncomfortable. And and, and understandably, it, 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 we ask, how are we to respond? One thing that's interesting, though, is that often now, because we're just in that moment, when we discuss things like this, immediately the Christian response will be, but we are to obey and submit to our government. Because the, so. the Bible says so. Because the Bible says so. In several places. In several places, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. Yeah. The tricky part and where the complexities are, say 1 Peter 2, for example, you know, submit yourselves to uh, kings and every authority, we, unless we're thinking critically and thinking deeply about this, we fail to uh, realise that the apostle who wrote those very words didn't blindly submit to the government and himself ended up in prison awaiting his execution. And so we've got to think very deeply and one of the things that the church hasn't been faced with in the 19th 20th century is what Abraham Kuyper called sphere sovereignty. Before the whole Covid ordeal, I had no idea about it. I know a lot of the churches that have defied the government around the world also had little to no idea about it. About sphere sovereignty. About sphere sovereignty okay. and basically oh, which you hopefully you going to explain for yeah, following yeah, so Yeah, I will. I, will. Beyond, I, will. No, I think, no, think. yes. Yeah. And and so um, uh, they, they haven't been able to, they weren't aware of that, but this is forced, as you were, I believe it's a kindness of God to bring to surface once again what the church has always held to. And the church has always held to it. Um, and, and what it is, is really coming from Matthew 22 15 to 22, for example, is when Jesus said, Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God that which is to God. Martin Lloyd Jones's commentary, Banner of Truth, on Romans 13, is devoted to sphere sovereignty and when you understand sphere sovereignty it begins to help understand a why James Coates has taken a stand and why other churches around the world are taking stands because it says this and this is sphere sovereignty in a nutshell that um, we have in the 19th and 20th century made things monolithic meaning that we viewed that there is church then the government And then God, as though it's all monolithic. Sphere sovereignty says, no, God has established government, the church, and family as spheres and in their own entity that are given a level of um, authority, and they do overlap in some areas, but... There is uh, limited authority given to those, just like um, the elders of a church don't go out on Monday morning and start issuing parking fines or sentencing people to jail. Same way, the government doesn't come in and tell us who can we appoint, who we can appoint as elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers. Or not teaching. in New Zealand,
0: but they don't. But yeah. yeah.
1: Or or what we sing on a Sunday morning, or yeah. what we teach, or when we can gather. And so, when you understand um, a delegated authority. Um, that the fact that we live in two kingdoms, that there are there is the um, a civil kingdom, and then there is the ecclesiastical kingdom, and Lloyd Jones's commentary is life in two kingdoms, and so when you survey church history, you have the Covenanters, the Scottish Presbyterians, and they covenanted um, to to gather and to meet, and eighteen thousand of them were martyred, and. Um, there's a uh, pastor jailed in, in China right now, Wang Wang Li, I think his name is for nine years. And uh, his first point was that we must always be committed to gathering and to meeting. Now that doesn't mean you're not reckless. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you are reckless, rather. Mm. That that doesn't mean that you don't consider safety of of elderly and the vulnerable. In whatever situation you're yeah. in, particularly the situation we're in, so it doesn't mean that as soon as you understand sphere sovereignty or delegated authority or two kingdoms, that you immediately just run out there and defy the government and be reckless. What it does mean, though, is that, as Phil mentioned before, is we we've got to identify that there is um, designed by God different spheres that exist. And each has been given a certain level of authority, and we're not to overreach those. That would, uh, that
0: would generate, I'm sure, a lot of good discussions and a long discussion, because long, I can imagine there are many, long. many people that would disagree with that. Yeah, and, um, yeah. many. Uh, it's interesting. I, I think middle of last year, I read a Voice of the Martyrs uh, magazine, which I highly recommend to everybody. And it talked, I cannot remember it was somewhere in Laos or somewhere in Cambodia or like that. so this this is the way the church operates because it's illegal for them to meet together as a church. right So it must have been sometime during lockdown this came out. The church got together and bought the pastor a taxi. right? Once a week, each church member is picked up by the pastor. He operates it as a taxi, right? But once a week, each church member is picked up by the pastor and driven to work. During that time, they pray. Talk about the Lord and recite scripture from memory because they don't have Bibles. The, you know, the parishioner pays them for the for the fear. You know, it's probably their tithe, but that's their church.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, you know, and 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 say, so okay. So we, we go all this from from this in a country where they're persecuted for being Christians mm. to somebody demanding that we are we, you know, we must have you know, be allowed more than one hundred people meet together on Sunday morning in church. I go.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that James Coates faced over there was that the restrictions, and and what I would want to add to this discussion is that it's very important to um, both think through what has been long held in church history and and not think we're in our own little unique bubble, but also um, to realise that each setting geographically is entirely unique. Mm -hmm. And so that has to be taken into consideration. And Michael Haken, who's a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he wrote a thing yesterday, beautiful uh, words, where he said that, tracing back through church history, uh, a Baptist pastor in the 1700s, uh, Sutcliffe with his name, about how each church and each person needs to think for themselves. And we can't think that those who, like James Coates and their elders who rise up and, and disobey the government, are hothead rebels. On one side, we mustn't think that. And on the other side, we mustn't think that those who don't are cowards and not all in it for the Lord. Mm -hmm. We need to have a spirit of, a Catholic spirit, a Catholicity spirit, Haken Mm -hmm. called it, where we're unified. Mm -hmm. And, And I hope that the people who may be critical of James Coates pray for him as a brother, as a part of the body. And so I just want to preface that yeah. by, by saying that. I think that's And I think important. another
2: thing too to add to that is like each, each church is unique, but there needs to be a unity in the leadership. Yes. And I think we're probably wrestling with that in New Zealand, that there's kind of a, you know, it's almost like split churches because you've got the ones over this side and ones over that side. And maybe it's because the leadership haven't got a unified yeah. voice on it. So it's a, I think it is a good moment in history for us in New Zealand. It you really to, is. To wrestle with, okay, how are we going to deal with this? Yeah. because we've only really just touched the surface really with this it, you know there's more, I think
0: the more unity thing is that, I mean yeah, one body, one God, one spirit we're we're all one. One of the things I loved in Katikati when I was pastoring there was that the the pastors all met on a Thursday morning for prayer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right we 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 prayed with each other, we prayed for each other, we knew what was going on in our churches, and I know around New Zealand there are towns and cities, and I don't know what it's like in Napier or, mm-hmm. or Hastings have a lot more. But there are towns where the pastors wouldn't even, you know, they would nod to each other getting a coffee, and that's about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, so, so we need that unity. Um, I'm going I'm to finish with you, but yeah. last word to somebody. I think the, the people we're kind of talking to at the moment are Christians uh, in this particular podcast, Christians that may not have that great uh, relationship with Jesus. Mm. All right, have a, have a word to that person. What would you say?
1: Yeah, you know, there's a couple of different people when I think of that person. You know, um, there's that person who is truly born again. Um, they have uh, received the new birth by grace. Um, they, uh, and yet they are struggling um, with assurance. They're struggling with um, knowing Jesus, as it were. Does Jesus know me? And I'd say to that person who's sincere and yet um, concerned to to really rest in the objective work of Jesus Christ on their behalf, Mm. that that they can trust in and rest in Christ's work on their behalf. Another person I may be thinking of would be someone who does profess to be a believer and yet their life is marked by by sin, life-dominating sin. I don't want to say to that person, hey, I just, you just need to rest in the objective work of Christ. They need to examine themselves, test themselves. Am I in the faith? Um, ha- have I truly trusted in Jesus? You know, the Puritans used to say that a simple trust gets the same strong saviour. And I want, to, I want to implore that person living in sin that that trust includes um, a turning away from sin. And so... Um, Second Corinthians 3.18 tells us to behold the glory of Christ, that we have an unveiled face. With an unveiled face, we behold the glory of Christ. A couple of verses prior to verse 18 there in 2 Corinthians 3, it says that that veil is removed when one turns to Christ. Mm. And so,
0: um, so we need to turn, turn first, turn, turn first,
1: to him. Turn to him, mm. and uh, we do that by faith and we do that by grace. Both of those are a gift, mm-hmm. and so cry out to God. For grace. But if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus, rest in the objective work of Christ, in his living yeah. and in his dying, mm-hmm. and, um, and seek to be faithful.
0: So yeah. Phil, talk, talk to that person. They, they, they realize that uh, you guys seem to know Jesus more than what I do. What do I do?
2: Yeah, it's, um, we're all on a journey. I mean, we, we are progressively growing to be more like Jesus, and so we want to be able to um, continue to, to feed ourselves, and it comes back to you know good doctrine, healthy words, the words of Christ, the life of Christ, um, as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and how did he live life, and you know go back to the old WWJ.D. thing. you know that's a great principle. What would Jesus do? And as I look at Christ, as I follow him, what would Jesus do? How would he deliver this? How would he answer this question? How would he interact with this person? And as somebody is starting to imitate Christ and follow Christ, they will begin to grow in their relationship with him and their faith will grow stronger. And so it's just it's keeping Christ at, at, at in front and right in front of us and uh, so keep, keep looking to him. And, uh, and I love what Matt said as well, but, and just understand grace. I mean, Jerry Bridges wrote a great book called Transforming Grace. I think it, it helped me immensely to understand what is grace, what has Christ done for us, what truly does forgiveness look like? And that was yeah. hugely helpful I, I for me. I remember Bob
0: McCoskey, um one time, when he was still at Rima, before he went off to and, and created Family First. Yeah. And he said uh, he said to Rob, he said, oh, Rob, you should read this book. It was Philip Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace. Mm. And I said, you know, we've just read a book on grace in our men's Bible study. He goes, oh, what's it called? I said, Leviticus. Because <laughs> what we did, we look, yeah. we looked at Psalm 119, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. David's great acrostic psalm to the law of the Lord. And you go... What's wrong with your brain? Mm. You know, I love the law. So we looked at Leviticus and we looked into it, and we, what we saw was the holiness of God, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. where God says, I want this relationship with you, mm. and, but I need you to understand the difference between you and me. Mm. So let me show you what you would have to do. And you get to the end of Leviticus and you go, There's no way I can do that. Mm. And God goes, Exactly. <laughs> Let yeah. me do it for you. And, yeah. that, and that's, that's great. Guys, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. Thank, thank you, me, Rob, yes, for having us. Okay.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah.